0: Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God amen. Um, it's the first of the month, so it's Q and A. I received a few questions by email and one or two in person, but I'll start with if there's anyone who has any right now that they have, we can start with that and then I can switch. If there's not, we can use that until people think of any. Ernest. I was
1: talking to Father Carolus in the continuation of the gospel reading, it said the disciples didn't when they were on the when they were on the boat, it was right after this miracle, and he said they were still shocked because their hearts were hard. Right? They just witnessed the miracle of the feeding, they saw Christ walking on water, and are still have a hard heart because they're not living, um, I guess, in the wonder or in the supernatural, as a Bonaparola puts it. Mm-hmm. So he says, we our hearts are hardened because we're not accustomed to quote unquote the supernatural can you expand on living in, in the wonder or the supernatural of, of a life
0: with Christ I think that would be the same as living in humility a person's heart is going to be hard if he or she thinks that they know everything and so a person who thinks that they are the standard whether it's of knowledge or of thought or of ideas um, or you name it where me is the, is the, the standard point I'm not going to have wonder at anything that I see, right? Like think of like somebody, for example, who thinks highly of their academic feats. So when someone comes me, like, oh, did you hear like that little kid got like this amazing score? And instead of being like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Right. The response is, yeah, I did that. Right. Or like, that's not a big deal. I mean, they could have like they have that same reaction because their their sense is in their self right so when a person steps out of that to look at things for what they are that's those are the people who are going to be more likely to to appreciate the wonder so like look at for example the difference between that and the man born blind right the man born blind because he only knew darkness right was mesmerized by being exposed to light Right, by being able to see. So unlike other people who miracles had happened to, in spite of being bullied, he not only defended the Wonder Worker, right, but then went to the Wonder Worker and said, Who are you? I need to know who you are. So I think it comes out of a person who has the humility to accept that there are things that he or she doesn't know, that he or she doesn't understand, and to want to know. right, Not to want to explain it from their own context, but he want to ask the bigger question of, removing all of my knowledge and my biases, explain to me what you are, or who you are, or what just, what happened. So, it's a life of, of faith, where my, my my center of balance is no longer myself, but it's Christ. Is that answered to you? Or not really?
1: Uh, partially.
0: Okay. Where, what am I not hitting?
1: Uh, so, Mama Samir for instance, right? Baba Provost would, was with her all the time. Mm-hmm. It was normal, the, the Oyo, the, the apparitions, uh, even for Pope Provost when Saint Mina would come. Mm-hmm. Uh, those who saw uh, Saint Mary appear on the cathedral, they, they were in wonder. Mm-hmm. Baba Provost was like, that's normal. Mm-hmm. Right? There, there is a, a difference in, in the mindset. And mm-hmm. that's what the question was for.
0: Which, the mindset of whom? I'm not getting it.
1: Muslims and Christians sing the St. Mary on the cathedral versus Baba Krollos, who's like, yeah, I see her
0: all the time. Right. That doesn't mean he has less wonder, but I think what was different for Pope Krollos or somebody like for Tan because Tan at first was in wonder. Like, like Tan Samira was in shock and she didn't believe it and she'd make him do the sign of the cross and she would like ask him why are you even here like she, she didn't just like be like oh cool there's a saint like her immediate reaction was very much like like us tan Samira for those of you who don't know Tan Samira she's a woman uh, who passed away in from Orange County um, so she was she knew Pope Corlis while he was alive um, and then in her last two years she was in severe illness she was seeing Pope Corliss multiple times a day Um, and a lot of a lot of miraculous things happened around her that were undeniable to, to many she's a very virtuous woman but I think a person who lives in the heavenly realm isn't going to be surprised because that's exactly what what we would expect to happen right like a person who lives like if we look at a textbook and say well what happens when you do this what happens when you do this a person who's living in that won't be shocked when that happens because that's what's supposed to happen, right? So a person who is is living towards a life of holiness has more clarity, right, and is able to see the heavenly and the earthly in a completely different way than a person who's living only in the earthly realm, right? So their reaction, I think, is different because they had already progressed that route, right? Like, the disciples didn't have the same wonder, like their whole time with christ right like there was a progression with that as as well or even like saint Anthony. i'm sure the first time that the devil appeared to him he wasn't like oh yeah i've been there done that the first time probably like had some kind of effect on him and as he acquired experience right whether it was supernatural or diabolical it clearly happened a lot because he eventually was teaching how to discern the two Right, and he's like it's happened enough times that I can tell you one is this for real, one is this for fake, one is this a delusion and and all of that. So I think it comes with your experience and and growth in holiness of what would be shocking or not shocking. Any other questions before I shoot the email ones? Go ahead. So the question was: Are we um, are we supposed to? Are we required to seek new talents, or what is the meaning of like not bearing our talents? No, we're supposed to invest the talents that we are given. Um, so I don't need to try and get a new one because I already have them, right? But what <coughs> what would likely happen is that if you use your talents, you do acquire more as a result, right? So. For example, let's say you're a good listener, okay? And so people come and talk to you about their problems. So your good listening usually goes with patience, right? So you're able to sit and listen to people when they have issues, right? Then the more that you hear, I'm just making up a hypothetical, the more that you hear, hopefully the less judgmental you become, right? So you've picked up, another virtue right of of having the humility and of having like the ability to not look down on people right that might mean that certain people are going to come to you more than others let's say it's high schoolers let's say it's kids right so then you might develop another gift with kids as a result of these other two things that you had because they're the ones that are always coming to you or high school or whatever age it is or adults right so one virtue can easily lead to another because. They're linked. Um, and so if I start with what I already have, I'm gonna probably acquire more. Um, so that's not saying the gifts themselves are are I wouldn't I don't see any obligation or duty for me to try and find new ones. Virtues, on the other hand, yes. Like virtues we should always be seeking all of them. Like Theoretically, it might be ambitious to work on all of them all at once, but I should I should want them, um, especially because we many of us don't have very many <laughs> of those. What does that answer that? Okay. Mark, did you have any? I have a comment. Let's hear your comment. <laughs> Go for it. Like it. That's amazing. Well done. Congratulations. Were you happy with the results? Yeah. Good. <laughs> but I okay. Maybe next year. <laughs> we'll try and do it. One of the first questions from emails, is, what is the Oriental Orthodox view on theosis? Um, is this concept accepted with the term while the terminology is rejected? Was there controversy over this term or concept during his holiness of the third? Did he speak out against this as there as there was a misunderstanding? within the church? Like short answer, yeah, we believe in theosis. Um, the, the long answer um, is that yes, Pope Shinoda did speak against it, but there was definitely a terminology issue um, because what Pope Shinoda wrote against was, you could call it a, a straw man argument. Like when you construct something and you and you tear it down, but nobody had that argument. So Pope Shenouda called it a heresy, um, which to Western ears gets them all like worked up of like, how could you even call it um, a heresy? So um, he called it a heresy because the word in Arabic is really unacceptable. <laughs> um, like the word in Arabic or means very much that I'm saying I become actually God, um, which is not what the doctrine of theosis holds. Um, but is obviously to anyone who would hear that word shocking, and the right response would be to say that's heresy. Um, I don't become God by nature because I'm I'm a man, right? So I can receive divine characteristics by grace, right? But I do not become divine by nature um, because I am by nature human. I can never become God in His in His the fullness of God. So when Pope Shenouda wrote against theosis, he wrote against that. Um, and unfortunately, something that happens a lot um, between Christian denominations is people will take random sentences out of their context and and tear them apart, right? So like there's an Eastern Orthodox that wrote about us because of this issue, right? Um, one of the bishops in our church was a particular monk in our church who's passed away um, and, and pulled out lines and said, see, he says this, this, and this, and this, and this. And they fight that, right? But they're not looking at the whole context. So we do believe in theosis. Actually, it's a very Alexandrian teaching from the early centuries. Athanasius talks about it. St. Cyril talks about it. Um, The Desert Fathers, especially St. Macarius and St. Antony. But Macarius even more um, wrote about it um, than St. Antony. So we believe in it. And the concept is just that we believe that our goal is to have unity with God. Right? And that the more holy I am Holy in the sense of fighting against sin The more I receive of His grace Right, Which we, which we sing in the tazbeha, Right, He took what is ours and gave us what is His We praise and glorify Him and exalt Him forever um, And we pray in the liturgy We pray it everywhere Like It's, it's, it's deeply rooted in the church um, So it really was a terminology issue we do believe in it, but a lot of a lot of priests might say no to this because, in their minds, they are equating it with the that whole other view of theosis. My priest in Canada prefers to call it theopoiesis. Um, that's what Norman Russell used in his book. Um, I don't care what you name it; like it's the concept that we we do. When 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 Father George Dragas from the Greek Orthodox Church was teaching the, the clergy recently, I brought it up with him. And he was telling me, I don't know if it was in Romania or which country, but he was saying they have the same issue, like the word in their language also um, has some really negative connotations spiritually, so that part isn't new. So we do believe in it. I would say it's probably rather than fighting over the word, better to teach the concept, right? And it doesn't have to be named every time. It doesn't need to be fought over all the time. Um, because then we completely miss the, the point of it. We become less theost, if you will, <laughs> um, when we argue over the concept, because if I am someone who is in theosis, I should become more humble, <laughs> um, not somebody who becomes more um, loud. So there was controversy during His Holiness, the post third time, even still now there is some, um, and that was the uh, misunderstanding um, around that. That's the Coptic Orthodox view. I can't speak for the rest of the Oriental Orthodox, but I'm sure that they all do because the concept is just so deeply liturgical that like, they might have, again, their own ways of expressing the same concept, but um, I would be very surprised if they, if they don't believe in it. Um, the second question was, given the increasing rise in visibility of homosexuality pansexuality, open marriages, relationships, and general disdain for the traditional family within our culture. How do we as Christians reject these? Specifically with regards to homosexuality, it seems as we will be rejected as homophobic or biased and unfair by proclaiming that our faith rejects homosexuality, the lifestyle and its outcomes. How do we deal with this issue as it pertains to homosexuals who are our friends, both within the church and outside of it as our colleagues and co-workers?" Um, Yeah, it's a problem, but we're having a problem in general with all, um, sexual deviation. Um, not, not just, um, homosexuality, but, um, incest, polygamy, all these things are becoming normal. I read an article the other day about the first transgender man to have a baby, um, and that was being, um, celebrated as, like, I don't know what it was being celebrated as, but it was being celebrated. So, um... This relates to the question that, that comes after it, but I'll do this first. I think we need to be clear on what our stance is and why. Um, because if we know why it is, it's easier to have the conversation. Um, but there is going to be contention at some point because of one basic fact, which is that we believe that we're designed, right? So the issue is is very basic. If, we don't, if, we, if a person doesn't believe in a God, then there's no specific design to creation, right? So if something goes wrong, it's neither positive or negative, so you can't label it wrong because there's no objective um, line to hold against it to say this went wrong, right? So this is what, what I think is actually the, the crux of the issue is that most of society doesn't believe that there's a God, so there's no such thing as a ruler, And so there's no such thing as a ruler then you can't say that this is wrong or this is improper um, or that this is a deviation from the norm so that's the crux so usually i would just say that point blank is as somebody who is a person of faith i do believe that that there is a design and because i think there's a design then then this aberration genetically um is in my view an aberration like I, I actually will call it that, right? So which is the crux of the of the whole matter. So those people typically are not gonna get really far because they don't usually want to have a conversation about faith to begin with. For those who are more willing, right, within the context of how do we deal with it within the church, is to understand it better. So homosexuality um, and more other, other things that are going on, probably does have a biologic basic basis to it. There is something biological that's going on. So there is nature, and there's nurture, and there's warfare. There's all three. Um, so we need to understand that. There's lots of talks that like, we have available. There's some two on our website, I think, um, about how to, un- to understand it. And so if I understand that, then I'm not going to be angry or, or, or rude towards somebody who has the struggle, right? In the same way that I wouldn't be angry if somebody has type one diabetics, diabetes, right? I'll be able to say something went wrong. Your genes, like something like got transcripted wrong or you inherited something, right? But this isn't full health. This isn't the proper health, right? So I keep that objectivity of saying that something went wrong and I don't celebrate diabetes Right? I don't say, this is so amazing, I want to have diabetes for everybody. Right? But we say that we need to support people, we need to do research, we need to have support, we have to be kind, we have to do all of those things right? in the same way. So whether they're our friends, our colleagues, people at work, we treat everybody with dignity as human beings, um, but understand what is going on. Um, if we do it that way, I think people are more willing to understand where we're coming from too. Right, like is that the, once they see that you're not out there to just yell and scream at them, um, and that you are a Christian and, and aren't yelling and screaming, right, then they might be more likely to listen um, to why you feel the way that you do. There are homosexuals in the church that agree with our stance on it and are struggling, they do exist. Um, and there are those who can't or don't believe in that and, and just leave. Right, And so it's important for all of us to learn more so that we can have a more supportive environment for those who are, are struggling. There's a more full, like I said, discussion on it um, online and how, as a community, we should um, react and, and help out. I don't know if someone has more questions about that. No, no. Well, no. So it, actually,
2: there is a scientific evidence that it can be
3: genetic.
0: It seems to be. So it's definitely not causal at this point, um, because when we want to prove causality, we look at identical twin studies. And if, if both twins have the same characteristic, then we can say that it's definitely genetic and it's definitely causal. So we don't see that in all. There are twins who are both gay, but if it was genetic, it should be all of them, right, for identical twins. And we don't. Um, but there is definitely studies that seem to be showing that yes, there's something biological and there, there's huge variations in those. So it's not clear yet. So for example, I read one study, I read this five years ago about women who had higher than normal, um, testosterone in their pregnancy while pregnant with, um, girls and basically like, all of the characteristics of the girls growing up, they followed these girls throughout their whole lives, right? Where that they were more, and I'm going to use stereotypical, right, because gender is socially defined, but it was stereotypically more masculine, right? And they, they followed this, and they came just shy of saying, they're very, very particular in their their phrasing of it, they came just shy of saying that many were lesbians, like they were talking about... How they were more likely to play boy games as as kids. They're more likely to only play with boys. Um, they weren't into doll and house and all of those. Um, they were more on the physical education side more than what was normal, quote unquote. Again, all this is relative. So these are not any of these are not definitively what makes somebody straight or heter- or, or homosexual. Um, and then they had more male characteristics. They were more likely to choose male-associated jobs. They went through like with all their lives. So I was like, well, that's interesting, right? And then apparently, I haven't read this, they found the same with higher than normal estrogen um, when pregnant with with males, right? So if that's the case, something to look at, right? So there's a little bit of a, of a, a double standard, I think, because for all other things, when we say this is genetic, in the scientific community there's an onus right away to look into that right like that we have to try and figure out okay if it's genetic where does that come from why does it happen are there solutions for this um are there things that we can do to prevent this gene from being expressed this way but what's very the double standard to me is that in this specific situation nobody seems to be doing that or at least they're not not—they're not recognized um, much for trying to do that because it's seen as wrong to suggest that that's wrong or that something went wrong right and so that's why I'm saying that's where there's going to be this fundamental disagreement because if I'm an atheist I can't call it wrong because it's, it's just a genetic aberration and nothing more so I don't have any duty to try and fix it but If I don't believe that there's a proper expression genetically, right, then there's nothing to say. If I do believe that there's a design, it's only because of that that I can say something deviated from, from the design. Okay.
3: So so
2: the deviation, uh, I think there are two things. One is how I think any scientific research can be biased too. So is there like any analysis of how biased? This research was, and second, provided even if it's true, is there have they defined a specific threshold when that be an issue? Because I'm assuming it's a spectrum of basically variations in the genes. So is there a threshold that no. beyond this point? It's
0: so there's no th- there's no threshold. You're right. There is a huge like span. That's what I'm saying. It's not just nature either, right? There's nature, there's nurture, and there's warfare, and people are going to be. On completely different ends of the spectrum even within that there's somebody who might be mostly nurture I've met homosexuals who say this was 100% my choice right and I met others who are like no um, from as far back as I can remember I always had this right so like like bo- both of them are are there so of course there's bias there's nobody without bias including ourselves right like we, we all have a bias but we also need to be a little bit more objective right so to me i don't even care if there's a biological aspect because that doesn't change anything religiously right because some people in the christian community fear um biological being a real thing because then they then their assumption is that means god made them that way and then god is judging them for that which is not the case right because we have diseases all the time. Disease just means something went wrong, right? It doesn't mean that somebody is bad. It just means something went wrong. So then does that mean that if somebody's born with Wegners or if somebody's born with schizophrenia or someone's born with addiction, that somehow we think that that God wills or wants that? Because he doesn't, right? If a woman does drugs in pregnancy, for example, and the child is born addicted or with deformation, I think it would be a very warped image of God to say that God willed that kid to be born with an addiction and that God willed that child to be deformed. He didn't, right? But people's behaviors caused a consequence and diseases come from human behavior, right? Radiation, pollution, everything. Everything happened because of the fall, right? So it shouldn't shock us, right? That there are things that are going to result from it. So yes, there's a bias. No, there's not a specific threshold. Um... But three, I I don't see that that matters as much as that I think maybe as a Christian community we should spend a lot more time rather than just screaming about the issue, um, putting money into the issue, right? Of saying, what can we learn about this, right? Spend time talking to people who are struggling with this, right? Spend time looking at the genetics, spend time looking at the psychology, spend time looking at the nature and the nurture and the warfare so that we can help, right? As opposed to just... Always repeating that it's wrong, we get it, right? We needs to be the next step of what do we do, um, which is where we are lacking, right? There's finally, I think, some motion. We're always very late in it, but it's it's late. So hopefully. But I I think
2: it matters to know because yeah, I I think we have no evidence one way or the other. So, but most probably there is to and to what's a point percentage of basically of it is more natural or biological, maybe part of it is how like the way people are raised up and psychological, and then the the third category is more like warfare or, or just choice. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to know what is the percentage of each category, because if it's 90% warfare, I guess most probably the response would be, or 100%, the response would be different than if
0: it's hundred percent biological? on an individual level I agree with you on a, on a top level I don't right like on an individual level yes it's important to know where is this person coming from mm-hmm. right was it mostly nurture because if it is that's gonna be what we're gonna mostly deal with but if it's nature it's a completely different response mm-hmm. right like so I I do think there is evidence I don't think it's it's uh, like no there isn't I think there is evidence right and I don't I think we need to kind of get out of that mentality as, as a whole, right? Because, like, today, okay, you can make a bit of an argument that it's trendy to try whatever you want. But, like, look at the 90s, right? Look at the early 2000s, look at the 80s. Nobody would want to be gay, right? Like, why would they want to be gay? They, Even in the atheist community, they were anti-homosexual. So it's not even like it was just a faith issue. Anywhere that you went, you were going to likely be ostracized and and put aside so it's hard for me to believe that a person would want that right and when you talk to people who struggle with it many of them fought against it right like they weren't like oh this is great i love this i'm going to do it most of them were like let me do anything i can to not be like this and couldn't and some of them like i said from as young as two and three years old um, behaviors are observed and these kids weren't abused and their fathers didn't abuse them right so is there a strong correlation Statistically, between parents' relationship with their kids, there does seem to be. There does, like, to be honest. Is that what causes it? I don't think we can say that, right? Maybe that exacerbates it, but that's what I'm saying. We need to study all three so that we can deal with anybody where they are at. Um, and if the church was more strongly welcoming of people who are struggling with this right the church will never say we bless this we think it's a great idea but if, if people were able to say publicly i i do have this struggle i believe that it's wrong to do on this it would be helpful not only in changing how we are but also because they're the most helpful i think to be helping with the research right because it strongly affects them more than more than I would say almost everybody else because they're the ones who know exactly what it feels like what it was like, what was in their mind what wasn't um, to make it less biased but I think it, like the issue is bigger than, than we realize right like it's statistically speaking growing Im- immensely so I'll go. There's another part hmm? aside from there, which is the part of encouraging.
3: homosexuality and bisexual life and all kind of sexual immorality without the part so that's what we see mm-hmm. there's an encouragement because like you said in the beginning there's no believer in God there's no boundaries so we're all born with what we have so let's try new things, let's do this so that gets mangled. Yes. Yeah. what is going on
0: And this is, I actually think, like, the reason why we're seeing an increase in all of this is because of the hyper sexualization of culture, right? Because my own personal view, this is not an official view, this is just mine, is that the genetics are pointing at predisposition, right? And so a predisposition means that I have the wiring for something, but something turns it on. Right? Something in, in nature, tur- or in, in my nurture, sorry, turns it on. It can be something that I see, it can be chemical, right? So nurture doesn't just mean how my dad and mom raised me, it means anything that's not in my genetics, right? So when somebody is born with a predisposition, for example, towards addiction, which exists, right, they don't know they have the predisposition until they've been exposed. Right so sometimes what will happen is a group will go out for a drink and everybody has like one glass of wine or one beer but there's one person who goes home and is not able to stop thinking about that beer and wants to have more and then they have more and more and more and they do it alone and and, and it gets worse and that person had the wiring but didn't know until the first time he had the substance so i think part of what's going on is that Our genetics can lead towards certain sexual deviations of many kinds not just homosexuality but because sex is everywhere now right and being exposed to kids at a very young age i think this i think this is why we're seeing every kind of sexual abnormality increasing every kind right we seem to we talk a lot about homosexuality but every kind is. Bestiality, having relationships with animals, is also increasing, right? Polygamy isn't frowned upon anymore. Um, incest, I think a week after the gay marriage um, ruling passed, um, a big petition was sent forth asking for legalization of incestuous um, marriages, right? So every kind of, of deviation is increased. So the solution, there's not much we can do like to fix it, other than to understand why we believe what we believe, to teach that, like, strongly, to remove wrong beliefs, right? Because a lot of the times when, when we allow kids to believe wrong things, right? Like, I remember when I was a servant back home, um, my first year in college, um, one kid said at the meeting when we were talking about homosexuality, my dad told me if I see a gay person, to spit on him. Um, And so I was like, whoa, like, no, right? But, like, if that's what's being taught in the homes, we need to fix that. Because if that kid goes to school and then the teachers are saying that's horrible and only people think like this and they're right, would do something like that, then they're going to not take anything we say seriously, right? Because they're going to be like, no, this is the same place that told me hate these people and do such and such. So we need to teach properly and remove wrong teachings. Um, We need to be more objective in what we're saying and i think we can be a little bit more bold in the conversations right of saying why why do you think that you're right right like what is it that makes it because people when they usually discuss it will have an attitude of well obviously blah 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 so like usually i'll start by saying why is that obvious right is is it obvious um like where is that coming from to have a more intelligent conversation, because yeah. if the conversation is just emotional to tell you why you're wrong, there's no point even having the conversation because they're not listening, right? And so usually I'll point that out and say, you're not really asking me, you're telling me. So if you actually want to know why I believe what I do, I then like, no problem. If you don't, then then I I didn't ask you for yours, right? You don't need to dictate on me. I had co-workers who were gay, I had staff under me who were gay, and they knew my position on it, if you will, and we had very normal relationships, like there was nothing strained about it. And when they saw that there was no animosity towards them, or even a differentiation and anything, or everything was, was normal, um, actually that that led to certain conversations that I never expected to happen, um, where the person started asking about faith and acknowledging that he did have faith, and that he does struggle with it. So when people see you as human, they're more likely... To have a a meaningful discussion, right, uncle?
3: After the fall. Mm -hmm. Then the fall is sicknesses came to him. and That's why now what we see is happening. Yes. The other thing is that regarding addiction and health, it's a broad subject. Yes. Because it involves how a person perceives himself. How is psychologically the dealers problems? How how is the yes. there self-syncid? Yes. There's a lot of things, so I cannot just say because of their genes and once they're exposed to it. No, I'm
0: saying I'm I'm saying that there specifically there is a category within addiction of those who have the predisposition. But not that every Person with addiction is predisposed, right? And those those who have the predisposition to a s- decent degree, they've isolated the gene, right? So like they're they're starting even to to screen for those things. God knows what we'll do with that screening process. But um, I'm am n- not trying to suggest at all that all people with addiction um, uh, are predisposed towards it.
1: Same door, Saint Dorotheus talks a lot about um, self-reflection. saying or actually Elder Sophronian and Gandhi said a very similar comment. I believe in changing the world one person at a time, starting with myself. But Dorotheus spoke a lot about self-reflection, but didn't uh, say how to self-reflect or what what to think about. I approached uh, Father Krullos. He said, "Don't be egocentric and just think about your sin, your sins." Um, but do you have
0: any advice on what, uh, what to pick at? Listen to
1: people. People's
0: feedback? In general. Be a listener, not a talker. A person who is out to tell people, it goes with the whole being egocentric, and it goes with the very first question you asked. right? A person who is thinking of him or herself all the time is the one who's going to want their opinion to be heard is the one who's going to say, I did this for this reason, I did this for that reason. Whereas a listener is somebody who's not just silent, because a listener might be someone actually who speaks a decent amount, but somebody who's watching the reaction of the person in front of them, that is able to be emotionally aware of people around them, right? Of being like, when I said this, this person got upset. Going to the person and asking, did I upset you? Instead of just being, well, I said the truth, I don't know why they're upset because maybe you did upset them, maybe what you said wasn't the truth, right? Maybe you thought it was, maybe it was the truth, but you said it completely antagonistically, right? Like there's a person who who listens, who observes nature, who is calm, right? Is gonna be able to reflect much more easily because they're in the light, right? You can only see what's wrong when you hold it up to the light, and you're not the light. (laughs) Right, so God is the light, and God can speak through other people, and He can speak to you directly, He speaks to the gospel. So that's something it has to be a listener, somebody who has a spirit of discipleship. Right, so somebody who reads is gonna learn a certain amount, somebody who asks questions, right, is going to hear things that's gonna affect them. Somebody who lives liturgically, somebody who actively gives of Him or herself to other people, all of those things make a person more sensitive. To the truth, right? This is this is the core of it. Ideally, it would be by not sinning, (laughs) right? Because if you don't sin, you're pure, and if you're pure, pure, you'll see God, which he said, right? Which means that you'll have complete sensitivity and knowledge um, of everything that's going on. On a practical level, like not that that was in my view impractical, but like as specific steps, there has to be time given to that daily. It can't be arbitrary, right? There needs to be alone time, non-plugged in, every single day. Every single day, right? Like, there needs to be time where you shut down, either take your phone completely away or put it in airplane mode, right? If they're distracted by your room, turn off the lights, like, whatever it is, and, and sit there and reflect. Because if a lot of garbage comes out, like, if it's just all you can think about is your schedule and what time you need to wake up and, and your next meeting, it means that throughout the day you're not listening to God at all because all that's coming out is secular. But if there was, if there's some degree of of aptitude or, or consciousness towards God and others, then what might start to come up instead is I noticed that so and so was sick. Right? I should ask about them. Like, today I realized I was really impatient because I did this thing and, and I saw them get upset, right? I haven't done this. You'll, you'll start to have different contents coming out. So self-reflection with specific time devoted to it with prayer and Bible.
1: I, do, I just want to follow up on that. So just because I, I need a little more guidance there. You said unplug. Unplug, think of how I aired that day. Think of other people around me, how they were feeling, but are there other topics I can kind of go
0: through? No, I don't like to tell people what to think about, because what they think about says who they are. Mm-hmm. Because you can speak, you can think of nothing, and just be in the presence of God, and that will do more for you than blobbering on and on and on, right? But you're gonna have a reaction based on where you are spiritually. So that's why, like, I, I'll tell people who are just starting, you can choose a passage and do on, and and think on it. You can think about your day. You can think about nature. Those are good starting points, but eventually it, it should just come naturally because eventually what you should find is your mind should be with God all the time. So you're not doing something special at that time anymore. All that's different about that time is you're alone with Him right but it should develop into you're doing it throughout the day at all times and if you notice something right away reprove yourself right like i'm saying be be attentive throughout the day right pay attention to what your thoughts are right maybe even keep a log of your thoughts right some other people are like think about your thoughts and think about how much of them are about you versus how many are about somebody else Evaluate yourself when you get in an argument with somebody. Like what is your reaction? Are you angry or are you sad that there is that you had a disagreement? Or are you angry that they didn't see things your way? Right? Like like all of that can be happening all the time. And if that's a person's mindset, right, then their their ruler becomes the gospel and they start to change. It's it's a journey. There isn't gonna be a one-line answer for that. That should be a a progression of the spirit by starting by starting with the gospel. Good question, though. I have one more by email. Actually, there's two. Um, what is the biggest battle you see facing the church in America today, and how do we as soldiers enlist and engage? Um, I honestly think the biggest problem that we're facing. Is relativism, um, because relativism is atheism, but with a much flashier name. Because relativism takes away belief in an absolute, which means you become godless, right? And and many Christians are relativistic, and so you'll see it even in the Christians, where like they'll assess a decision or a behavior relative to something else. We're like, "Oh, but that's not as bad as insert whatever the comparison is." Right? That's relativism inserted right into our normal daily life, right? And it's it's all the time. Relativism is why when you talk to like some of our young kids, right? And even now some of our our young professionals cuz we are, we are part of that generation um where it'll be like, "Yeah, that's your opinion," right? On everything right or but maybe in their view so i'm not against understanding other people's views right that's empathy okay but that's different from saying that nobody's right right which is what society is trying to say so whenever there's a disagreement on a behavior what's going on right now is the bully wins right so if 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 we have a disagreement on smoking. Well, right now, the majority of people think smoking isn't healthy, and so for now, right, you're still not allowed to smoke in public places, indoors, and doing blah, blah, blah. That could change, right? Because all of the, all of the rules are allowed to change. Um, I think, for example, of, and I not to bring this back to the homosexual issue, but that couple that didn't make the cake, okay, for, the, um, for a gay marriage. In my head, I was wondering, forget whether what they did was right or wrong. Okay, that's not the objective of this. But if that same couple refused to make the cake because the customer said they don't believe, um, they don't support our troops, like they think that what the troops are doing is is wrong and they refuse to make the cake, I think most people would rally in support of those bakers. And saying you're right that person is totally wrong for having that attitude and they don't deserve to have the cake so i'm only making that comparison just to say that where there's a general consensus of the people everything's okay right but once you get into like a a debatable topic where we're not all on the same page that's when the biggest fights erupt so relativism i think is its curriculum right it's taught from literally from junior kindergarten, right, is you're not right, you shouldn't believe you're right, everybody has an opinion, everybody's right. And that indoctrination is completely transformed at least three generations so far, right? It it changed mine, right? We were the kind of in-betweens, the one right after us and definitely our children, right? So there's three whole generations that have been totally like bamboozled, like bulldozered um, with relativism and it's and it's only getting worse. So what we need to do is to come back, we have to go back to what the early church did, right? The early church knew what they believed in a world that was hostile to their belief, right? They were It wasn't easier in the early church. So this is why our generation more than ever, I think, needs to go back to patristics, needs to go back to why do we believe what we believe? What is the truth of what we're saying? So that I can hold my ground and not be afraid to say it. And we do need to teach our kids how to present their faith in this new context, right? To not be bullied um, by it. They don't have to bully others, right? But they also need to be able to stand their ground and say, I do believe in this, right? As opposed to just like 10 other kids telling them that what they believe is ridiculous and then they come home, right? And so the solution that even I'm participating in endorsing, of like, no, let's segregate them, right, to protect them. Like, I think there's a reason in that, but it shouldn't have come to that. If we were doing our jobs as Christians, it shouldn't have come to that point. So we need to believe in absolutes. We need to question ourselves if we're relativistic um, or not in our behaviors. Um, Do I believe in a clear right and a wrong? And do I hold myself to that standard? Right? Am I consistent? Because it has to start with my behavior, right? Of, of my living that belief. But that's what I think is the, the biggest um, crisis that we're going through because it's the source of every other problem you can think of is going to have as its roots, I think. Lack of a belief in an absolute, whether disguised as theistic or blatant as atheistic. Um, the other questions but I don't know if I'll address them now because they're completely unrelated Were more about rites and rubrics about um, um, like liturgical things um, about like uh, deacons wearing stools or not wearing stools which door to go through and not go through um, use of instruments so we can save that for another time I forgot to bless tunics today Satan likes us to um, during Ashaya, I, I didn't grow up with that, so it's different for me. But um, at the very least, whoever serves in the sanctuary, I think that's one of the priests in the diocese said, um, whoever serves in the sanctuary will wear their tunic. Um, the rest don't need to for Ashaya or for or for Bekel. Um But the other questions are a little bit more challenging because um, there's an inconsistent application um, of whether. The deacons are deacons are not deacons, so we're very random because we'll tell people not to go through the royal doors, and yet we're letting them do something else that only deacon can do. So it gets very um, hypocritical. Mark. I know it's a. I know it's a full deacon, and not a full deacon. What's a full deacon? A full deacon is like what a was before he became a priest. Yes, and what can a full deacon do? A full deacon can give the blood. Very good. And what else can he do? You're right. What else can he do? He can be a priest. Yep. Not just him. Others can too. <laughs> but. <laughs> How can others be a priest then? So, like, we could take someone from the congregation just and make them a priest. Just criminal kind of without being a deacon. Sorry? Without being a deacon. Without being a deacon well he'll get ordained a deacon before it um, but it might be the night before and in some cases it's the same day <laughs> and a full deacon can touch the vessels so like you know the paten and the cup like like the the, the, the plate we give our bond from and the cup that we have the blood from so a full deacon is allowed to touch those with his hands as well I think a subdeacon is too but I can't remember So, subdeacons cannot, but the but the deacon and the archdeacon can, right? So, why do they touch Oh, so they, they might touch the patent when they're cleaning it to put it away. And actually, the full deacon used to be allowed to take the body to people who were sick as well. So, like, Abuna could give him um, the zakira, I don't know what it's called in English, the, the small thing we have the body and the blood in. Um, and the deacon was actually allowed to go... Um, the full deacon and do that but we don't have that anymore and the full deacon actually was allowed to use the sensor that's why Saint Stephen is holding a sensor um, in his icon because the full deacon was allowed and in Egypt you'll see some leftovers of that because you'll see sometimes the deacon will come out after the commemoration and blow um, in front of the icons because the deacon used to be able to do that now we just yell at them, but the, it actually was, it was a right tradition.
3: <laughs> so why you all that?
0: That's the problem. <laughs> so the problem is that we had, most people who were deacons could also be priests, and we didn't have enough priests. So anybody who we thought was decent enough to be a deacon, we tended to make a priest. And so the solution was that we let other people go into the sanctuary. Which wasn't completely right. It was actually completely wrong. okay? And so then what ended up happening is that people don't know their roles anymore, which is why we get random. So for example, when we say pray for the Holy gospel, the full deacon was allowed to go through the doors. That was one time where he could go through the doors. Um, and now we'll send them through the long way, right? For that one, but then we'll say no to other ones, but people don't know why, right? Or, for example, the priest and the deacon, because the deacon is a priestly rule, shared a cross. There's no such thing as each priest and deacon holding a cross during liturgy. There's only one cross because it's one liturgy. right? So whenever the pri- that's why the deacon would be at the right of the priest, and there'd only be one. So like you know when when it says "Agios and he signs, right? He signs himself and then his right and then behind him, it says the priest will sign the deacon to his right. And it wasn't because it was like a special person on the right. It's because there was only one deacon and he was always on the right. And so it meant he was going to sign the deacon beside him. Or you'll see sometimes in some churches, um, this is where you can really see some leftovers. In the litany of the gospel, when the priest says, or let us pray, for some reason, you'll see the deacon always saying it from here in the sanctuary and then waiting to go out. And I used to get confused about why they were doing that, because I see no reason for them to wait and and go around. But the reason why is because the priest would would say, He would say, Peace be with all and bless them. And then he would hand his cross to the deacon to come out to use that cross during the thing. So there's always a handoff of the crosses between the two. So... Yeah, he does. You bet. He better get his cross, right? <laughs> Otherwise, he'll get cheap crosses and keep his good ones in his pocket. So the role of the deacon we can discuss. But that's part of the reason why, Mark, because um, I know that it might seem unfair why I don't like people to be in the sanctuary until they're 10 and older um, is because it's supposed to be an adult, right? Um, and so I want people to know how deep and how serious it is Right, to learn all about liturgy over the years. I know you're going to have an argument. Give me one second. Um, no? Okay, you're very humble. <laughs> but to learn everything, and so that when they come into the sanctuary, right, that they have a value for it, because the deacon is giving orders. Right. The deacon isn't supposed to be cute. Right. Sometimes when it's little kids, it's just cute. So when the deacon says, look towards the east, everyone's already looking towards the east. Right? but what the deacon is saying is look in front of you, stop looking left and right stop not paying attention, when he says stand up for prayer, he literally means anyone who's sitting down, get up Right. when he says um, <laughs> when he says um, let, let us attend that's old English for pay attention right? he's saying be attentive, bring your mind back into it Right. and so that's why we, we need to start figuring out how to, how to do that with uh, the system, what were you going to say? Why did Saint say? Because a few
3: years ago, I don't know how much kids were playing in the altar.
0: Not just a few years ago, <laughs> almost every week. <laughs> and so, and I'll tell you something to be honest. I used to do that. I burned my brother's hair when we were serving in the sanctuary. And he thought it was himself every week, but it was me. Um, <laughs> so I was, I was misbehaving in the altar. So I want people not to do <laughs> the wrong things that I did, right? Because we have to have <laughs> respect in the altar, right? But when you can do it all the time and you don't know anything, you start to lose respect for it, right? It becomes a completely normal thing, right? So when, when in my home church, we weren't allowed and when I was a kid, that's changed now, but when I was a kid, I wasn't allowed to serve in the sanctuary till I was A, 10 years old, but B, we had to, we had a, our teacher's name was Uncle Dawood, Uncle David, and we had to memorize all of the deacon responses before we were allowed to go into the sanctuary. And then we had to attend a special course with the Buddha's son about when to get the Shoria, how to get the Shoria, how to put things away, and it was very long. Um, and we had to do all of those before we could start. Um, but what they did do, which I also might do in the next couple of years, is during the weekday liturgies, right, is to start training a little bit. So during the weekdays, like, maybe during the pray for the Holy Gospel, things like that, to start being involved in it so which you've already started doing which is good deal okay and since we addressed most of the other thing that came up was the the symbols um because i know here at saint basil's we don't use them that much but the symbols are used in our tradition right the symbols aren't supposed to be backup music so that's that's the one thing that i want preserved Um, like Hishik Bishik, like really like aggressive is not okay but the symbols were originally if you go to the Coptic Museum you'll see um, like a little tiny bell type thing and the deacon would just tap, tap tap to keep the rhythm of the Alhan, that's all the role of the symbols were supposed to be and of the triangle, now they've turned into accompaniment, right so, um I don't mind use of the symbols here as long as it's quiet and reverent, um, then I don't have a I don't have a problem with it at all. And in Tazbahah, um, in particular, I don't care if it's guys or girls that use the symbol, like we always do back and forth um, at our home church. In the official liturgy, I still don't have a problem with it because there isn't a designated role for that. Um, but I don't want us to have controversy over nothing, so for now I would rather leave it um, for for Tezbaha. Um, if you guys choose to use it at all, it's up to you guys, but it's definitely not um, a wrong a wrong thing Doesn't matter. And we need to use less of it because we got complaints from the building. <laughs> so I, I've had to cut back on the incense. <laughs> Any mark? Why did they not like why did they not it? I think the smell was going into other people's work because we're in the building. And so it bothered them. So um, to be honest, I was putting a lot more than I used to. So I have to behave. <laughs> why are <you> more? <laughs> I like it. One day Actually in the Segda prayers The kneeling prayers Which we didn't do this year um, But we will do next year um, There's a part where everybody gets to come And put some incense on it So that'll be your one time <laughs> Until maybe when you're older And I think you said you'll be a brotherhood priest Not a monastery priest And then you can put as much as, <laughs> as you like Deal? Okay
3: Awesome. Any other questions or...